السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So welcome to another lesson of Quranic progression where we're currently doing the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr and we're very much towards the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr we have just a few verses left and just as a brief introduction for those of you that haven't attended a Quranic progression class before the idea behind our tafsir class is to do a very in-depth study of tafsir so this is our fourth year of doing tafsir and we started from Surah Nas and we're now on Surah Fajr so we've only done like 20 odd surahs in like four years and that's because we only do two or three verses a week, but we do a very detailed, very in-depth study of the tafsir of the Qur'an. And what it's essentially based upon is the tafsir of the Salaf, the, the very old collections of tafsir that we have, the very early collections of tafsir, like the tafsir of Abdul Razak al-Sanani and Ibn Abi Hatim and Al-Tabari, those scholars in their books of tafsir, their main goal was to gather all of the narrations of the Salaf in tafsir. So what did the Prophet say about the Qur'an? What did the companions say about the Qur'an? What did the tabi'een say about the Qur'an? What did the students say about the Qur'an? And so one of the uh, downfalls or sometimes shortcomings that we have with tafsir is that we look at what the scholars said of our times or the ones who just came before them or the very latest scholars of Islam. And although that's perfectly fine and there's good in that, this class was set up so that we could, for those who are interested in doing a more depth study, we go to the very early sources. So we look at what does Ibn Abbas say, and what did his students say, and what did Ibn Mas'ud say, and what did his students say. So we can take the knowledge of tafsir from its earliest sources, and then we work our way down. So we come to Ibn Kathir, and we come to uh, Sheikh uh, Ibn Sa'adi, and Ibn Ashur, and many of the contemporary scholars of our time, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqidi, rahimahumullah jami'an. But this was the idea behind QP. So, we are very much towards the end of this year. Our academic year finishes in Ramadan, so we're very much towards the end of that, and we're very much towards the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr. But just as a recap, uh, so that inshallah ta'ala we understand, uh, we understand the tafsir where we are at, I will give a brief recap of the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr. And we can take the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr and we can make it into categories, if you like, or uh, a number of topics. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the tafsir of Surah Al-Fajr, He begins by taking a number of oaths. In Arabic, they are called Qasim, a number of oaths. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by Al-Fajr, by the dawn. And then He takes an oath by the ten, He takes an oath by the ten days or the ten nights. وَلَيَالٍ عَشَرٍ The ten days or the ten nights. And these ten days or ten nights, in the opinions of the majority of the scholars of tafsir, are the first ten days of the Hijjah. And then was Shaf'i wal Watar, the odd and the even. And again, many of the scholars of tafsir were of the position that those odd and even are referring to the ninth and tenth of the Hijjah, the day of Arafah, and then the day of Eid. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this surah by taking a number of oaths. And after Allah Azza takes these oaths, he says, In these oaths, there are lessons for people of understanding. Because the person who is connected to Allah. The person who looks around them and sees the signs of Allah in the universe, 
He sees the sun, he sees the moon, he sees the day, he sees the night. Those things should make them stop and think. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often in the Quran, he says to us, أَفَلَمْ يَسِيرُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ Why don't they travel upon the earth? But not so that you can holiday and enjoy them. Those things are halal. But one of the primary purposes of traveling across the world is to contemplate, to think, to reflect all of these signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, for example, here in Pakistan, where I come from in the UK, you go to Australia, you go to China, every single place has so many different signs from the nature that Allah Azza wa has put in there, from the languages that people speak, from their cultures, from their heritages, all of those things you see within them, the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But only hijr for the people of intellect, for the people of understanding. Because there's a difference between having a brain and between using that brain. Most people, alhamdulillah, have brains. But whether they use them in a way that brings them closer to Allah, that is where we show for. And so the Allah Azza wa makes us think about this issue here. The second section of the surah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives examples of people who didn't benefit from those signs. And they were mighty nations of the past. They weren't just people who you know, were small groups of people or a small country or a small nation that had nothing, no blessings, nothing to speak about. They were mighty nations that Allah Azza wa mentions multiple times in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi'ad. Don't you see what your Lord did with Ad? And then Allah Azza wa explains who this Ad is. Irama dhatil imad, the people of Iram, who used to build lofty towers and lofty pillars, showing that they were people of strength, people of power, people who had the ability to conquer other lands, as Allah Azza wa mentions elsewhere in the Quran, that the people of Ad were people of military might. They would conquer lands. Allah says that when they used to conquer, they would conquer with force and might and power. And then Allah mentions the people of Thamud, whose houses even till today we can see. If you go to the northern part of Saudi Arabia today, as the Prophet did on the way to Tabuk, he passed by the people of Thamud and their dwellings. Mada'in Salih, we call them today. Those dwellings are still here today from thousands of years ago. What was the power of these people of Thamud? What did Allah give to them? They would come into a mountain and they would carve their dwellings in to the middle of the mountain, wide and high and deep. And we don't know what type of technology they possessed, what type of engineering. Now today, in 2022, we can do this now after how many hundreds of years of science and technology. Allah gave this power to those people thousands of years ago. And the Ad and the Thamud were Arab nations. They were known to Quraysh. The Quraysh in the Arabian Peninsula, they had heard of these people because they lived in the Arabian Peninsula. Ad is from Yemen and Thamud is from the northern part of what is modern day Saudi Arabia. And the third nation that Allah Azza wa mentions is the people of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, because he was a tyrant, but Allah Azza wa had given to him power and might and soldiers and wealth. How much did he have? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says for all of them, Allah Azza destroyed every one of them. Did Ad and their, and their power and Thamud with their technology and Pharaoh with all of their military might and wealth, did it benefit them? No. Allah Azza destroyed them. Why? Because they didn't use their intellect to bring themselves closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They didn't use their mind to stop and think Allah favored us, Allah blessed us, Allah gave us so much. Let us think about where this comes from and where we're going. Let us try to use it as a way to come to Allah Azza wa Jal. Ad, the Prophet Hud came to them. Thamud, the Prophet Salih Pharaoh, 
the Prophet Musa All three of those Prophets, Allah mentions multiple times in the Quran, many times. And every time those, those Prophets are mentioned in the Quran as calling their people, come back to Allah, look what Allah has given to you, praise Allah, thank Allah, believe in Allah, worship Allah alone. And each and every single time, they ignore their Prophets and Messengers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed them all. The third section of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about the reality of the Quraysh. And by extension, us as well. Because we are from now, the people of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa anyone after Quraysh and anyone that comes after them, it's from the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And Allah azza wa speaks about the way that human nature is, the way that we behave. فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا if Allah gives people something which they enjoy, gives them wealth, gives them blessings, what do they say? Rabbi Akraman, my Lord has honored me. But when at the same time Allah tests them, Allah takes away their rizq, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them punishment, Allah gives them hardship, whatever it may be, what do they say? Rabbi Ahanan, my Lord has humiliated me. So when things are easy, then people are happy to praise Allah or to thank Allah. But when things are difficult and hard, that is when people turn away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is when people say, we are no longer willing to come to Allah azza wa Whereas the, And this was the situation of Quraysh. Quraysh, when things were easy, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the Quran? He says that they were people who used to take their blessings and use them as a means of oppressing others. They don't use their good that Allah azza wa gave to them to help and to do good. Yes, they did some good as well. But they were often people of arrogance and people who used to look down upon others. And people who, when the Prophet ﷺ came to them with the religion of Islam, one of the main reasons that they rejected him was because the people that followed him were slaves and women and the weak and the poor. And so they said, this can't be a religion for Quraysh because only the slaves follow him. We are people who are of might and honor and arrogance and pride. We are not willing to follow these people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this reality, but that reality also applies to us. How many Muslims today, when things are easy, they're happy to praise Allah. But the first moment that calamity strikes, a hardship comes, someone dies, someone loses their money, someone becomes seriously ill, then they say, why? Why did Allah test me? Why, why me? What did I do? How do I, why do I deserve this? And that is because we don't understand, as Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions many times in the Quran, that Allah tests people with good and with evil. We test you with good, we test you with evil. Testing is from Allah The way that you overcome that test, that shows whether a person is close to Allah or whether they have become distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the next section of the surah, Allah then says to the people of Quraysh, He tells them their reality. You don't look after the orphan, nor do you feed the poor. And when it comes time to distributing inheritance, you devour the inheritance of others. What is the, the one common pattern in all of these three things? Not looking after the poor, not helping the orphans, eating people's inheritance and justly taking wealth from them. The common denominator is you are too attached to wealth. Because when a person becomes attached to the dunya, then they don't think about the akhirah. When a person thinks that their attachment to the dunya is everything that they need to work for and live for, it is very difficult for them to focus on anything that they think will detract from it, or will subtract from it, or will in any way make it diminish. 
And that is why the people of Quraysh, when they feared that the Prophet would become leader over them, if they accepted him, he would become their leader and he would be the one in charge and he would be the one, who would be the one to take their wealth and distribute their wealth. They rejected the Prophet And so people have this attachment to the dunya, attachment to wealth, a love for materialism. Why? Just as Pharaoh and just as the people of Ad and the people of Thamud did, because many times we think that if Allah gives us money, it means Allah loves us. And if Allah doesn't give someone else money, it means maybe that Allah doesn't love them so much. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as he tells us in the stories of Ad and Thamud and Pharaoh and others, is that Allah gives wealth to everyone. Muslim, non-Muslim, good, not good, pious, evil, everyone gets wealth. But Allah Azza wa only gives Iman to the people that he loves. The dunya is for everyone. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu told us that the example of the dunya and everything in it, in the sight of Allah, is like the wing of a mosquito. Not worth anything. What does the wing of a mosquito weigh? What does a mosquito weigh? Nothing in the sight of Allah. But Iman is only given to those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Allah Azza wa in the next section of the surah, he then goes on to speak about the reality of where the people will end up. So these people who don't look after the poor, don't look after the orphans, take people's wealth unjustly. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Kalla idha dukkatil ardu dakkan dakka. Remember that a time will come when the earth will quake and it will shake and it will be pounded to dust and grounded. Allah Azza wa Jalla is telling us this why? Because each and every single one of us must answer for our deeds on Yom Al Qiyamah, on the Day of Judgment. And so Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala brings the surah from the signs of the earth and the universe back to the signs that no one can deny, no one can reject, and that is the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. When Yawm Al-Qiyamah strikes, and Allah Azza wa Jal comes, your Lord will come, and the angels will come, rank upon rank, row upon row. On that day, on that day the fire of hell will be brought forth. As Ibn Mas'ud narrated that the Prophet said on that day Jahannam will be brought out with 70,000 chains. Upon every chain will be 70,000 angels dragging out the fire of hell. 70,000 angels on 70,000 chains. And that is how vast the creation of the fire is. On that day, That is the day that people will remember and Allah says, but what good will it be to remember on that day? That's the day people will reflect. That's the day people try to contemplate. That's the, people try, the day that people will say, maybe only, if only I did, and maybe I can. That is the day that people will regret and show remorse. But Allah says, What benefit does he do to them on that day to, give, to remember and to be reminded? So in verse number 24, which is where we left off, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to say, يَقُولُ يَا لَيْتَنِي قَدَّمْتُ لِحَيَاتِي He will say this person on the day of judgment, would that I had provided for this life to come. And so this is part of the regret and the remorse that people will have. In other parts of the Quran, we know that Allah Azza wa Jal says that from the sheer and the major remorse and regret that they will feel, the disbelievers will chew upon their hands. They will bite their fingers out of remorse because they feel the internal pain now that everything that they thought was untrue is now reality and true. And everything that they considered to be true is actually false. Because people who spend their life in this dunya thinking there is nothing else, 
I only have to live for this life, make as much money, buy as much as you can. It doesn't matter, halal, haram, whatever. It doesn't matter, just get more and more and more. When they see the reality of the akhirah, they will know that this was false. As Allah says in the Quran, dunya illa mata'ul The life of this world is only one of deception. And for those people who didn't believe in the akhirah, they didn't think that there would be an accounting, that Allah would resurrect people, that he would question them, that he would hold them to account, they will see that reality then. But the reality then, as Allah says, doesn't benefit them. They will say, if only I had provided for this life to come. Sa'id ibn Jubair, rahimahullah ta'ala, who's from the major students of Abdullah ibn Abbas, radiyallahu anhum, and a famous scholar from amongst the tabi'een. He said, the major deception of this life is when a person continues to sin, and they think that Allah will just forgive. I will sin, and I will sin, and I will sin. Allah is ghafoor rahim. Allah will forgive. Doesn't matter. I will just continue to sin and sin. And he said, and the major deception of the dunya is that a person works so hard for it and they forget about the akhirah. And if a person is fortunate, they realize that they forgot about the dunya before they pass away. Some people earlier, some people later. Some people maybe in their 60 and 70, they think, no, now I need to prepare for my death. Those are the fortunate ones because they are able to remember at least. But how many people don't even get the chance to remember? They die young. They die in their youth. They die when they think they have many years left to live. Or a calamity befalls them when they become so ill or they become so sick or they lose their health or they lose their wealth or they lose other things and now they don't have the ability to do good deeds. The opportunity is not as easy as it is. And that is why the Prophet told us وسلم, to take benefit of certain things before other things. You have free time today to work for your akhirah. But maybe tomorrow you don't have free time. Today you have the free time or you have the wealth to work for your akhirah. Maybe tomorrow you will be poor. Today you have the health to work for your akhirah. But maybe tomorrow when you're too sick, the main thing that you will be worried about is the pain in your body. And you're not worried about doing other good deeds. Take benefit of those things. This is what Sa'id ibn Jubayr said. Ibn Ashur, the famous scholar of Tafsir, the uh, Tunisian scholar, he said, Allah Azza wa begins this verse by the word Ya. And that is to draw attention. Oh, you, meaning think. Allah Azza wa is calling, saying that this person on the day of judgment will say Ya. And Ya is harful nida. It is to call someone, to draw attention to something. But this person on the day of judgment, what is he drawing attention to? Is he calling someone else? Is he addressing someone else? No. He is calling attention to himself. Ya laytani. Oh, me, myself. Because that is how much remorse, because no one on that day can benefit anyone. No one will help him. So there is no point calling attention to his father or his mother or his sheikh or anyone else. The only person that he can draw attention to is himself. قَدَّمْتُ لِحَيَاتِي And Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, If only I had done good deeds for the life that is coming. Meaning, so when Allah says, قَدَّمْتُ لِحَيَاتِي If only I had put four things for my life, which life is Allah referring to? The life of the hereafter. This is a position, one of the positions amongst the scholars with tafsir. That is referring to the life of the akhirah. So everything you do now is not for today and tomorrow. In terms of good deeds, when is it for? It's for akhirah. It's for your next life. You're building your house in the akhirah. And you're building your life in the akhirah. And you're building your family for the akhirah. That's what you want to work for. Ya If only I had done enough for my life that is to come. Meaning my life 
after which there is no death, meaning the life of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the life of the Akhirah. Ibn Atiyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and this was the position of the majority of the scholars with tafsir, that the meaning of hayati is lihayati al-baqiyah, meaning for my life that is to come. And this is the amazing focus of the Muslim. The Muslim is the one who remembers that my true life is not this life here. My true life is the life of the Akhirah. This life is a temporary thing. As the Prophet said in the hadith of Ibn Umar, be in this life like you're a stranger or a wayfarer, a traveler. A stranger, what does a stranger do? Like me, I'm a stranger in this country. I came to this country, I'm here for a few days. I don't even unpack my suitcase. Why am I going to waste my time a whole day unpacking my suitcase, taking then tomorrow I have to repack again anyway. A traveler has a mindset where they come, they don't think I need to buy a car, I need to buy a house, I need to look for a fridge, which school is my children. Why? Because these are not my issues, these are not my main priorities. And the Abiru Sabil doesn't even do that. The wayfarer is the one who doesn't even stay for a few days. He comes, he rests, and he leaves. He comes, he uses the bathroom, he eats, he makes wudu, he prays, and he leaves. He doesn't even stay for a day or two. And that is why the scholars said that the Abiru Sabil in this hadith is better than the wayfarer, it is better than the gharib, because the stranger will stay for a few days. The Abiru Sabil doesn't even do that. And so the Prophet is saying, being like this one or like that one. So the believer is the one who understands this. And so they prepare for where is the eternal life, for which there is no death, for which there will be no end. And so when we spend so much time and effort in this dunya, and then we forget about the akhirah, whereas that is the real life, it is the opposite way around of the way that we think. You know, most of us, if you are now parents, inshallah, one day you will become parents, you will get married, you will have children. Your whole life is dedicated for what? For the future of your children. You work for them and you earn for them to give them a better education, to give them a better life, to give them better opportunity. Why? Because you plan. This is what humans do. You look at your career, you look at your progression, you look at your studies, you look at the way that you will benefit yourself so that you can help yourself and your family. But for us as Muslims, this is only temporary. The Muslim is the one who thinks, yes, I need to benefit myself and my family in this dunya, but only if that benefit will reach the akhirah. If it's a benefit that doesn't take them to the akhirah, then it's not a benefit. It is a limited benefit. They may benefit in one way or two ways, but ultimately they lose out. Because if we all don't go to Jannah, myself, my parents, my, my wife, my husband, my children, then we have lost out. And so the believer works for that reality. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and this is the other position that some of the scholars of tafsir mentioned, and in fact, it is one and the same, but there is a difference in the way that they worded it. Some of the scholars said, قَدَّمْتُ لِحَيَاتِي What I am preparing for my next life, meaning the life of the barzakh, the life of the grave. That's what it's referring to. And the difference is very minute because the grave leads to the akhirah. The life of the barzakh is the first stage of the stages of the akhirah. And so some of them use this one and some of them use that one. But in reality, the meaning is one and the same. And Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, that Allah Azza wa Jal draws the attention of those people who on the day of judgment were, will be found to be neglectful. They spent this whole life heedless in neglect. And they will regret what they did on the day of judgment. That on that day they will see that all the actions that they did in this life were not everlasting. You know the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Kahf and in Surah Maryam, وَالْبَاقِيَاتُ الصَّالِحَاتِ The everlasting good deeds. The scholars differed greatly 
What are the everlasting good deeds? Some of them said dhikr, some of them said Quran, some of them said salah, some of them, many different positions. The one thing that gathers them all together is that it is anything that you find its benefit in the akhirah. That is an everlasting good deed. Anything that you don't find its ajr, its thawab, its reward in the next life, then it's not an everlasting good deed. It is a limited good deed. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala draws our attention to this a number of times as an Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala says, and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says that these people will regret what they did in this life because they spent their life disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in sin. And they would have wished if only they had did more good deeds. As the Prophet wasallam said, that when a person dies, they would give everything in this life, spend everything in the world to only come back and be able to pray two rakahs. Just two rakahs. And that's why the Prophet said, two rakahs are more precious to the person who has left this world than everything in the dunya. Everything. The things that we chase over now, from morning to evening, we spend 50, 60 years of our working life chasing after these things. When we die, two rakahs will be more beloved to us than this. And that is why the scholars of Islam, they have a beautiful statement. You know, they say sometimes when you come late to salah, jama'ah, congregation has started, and you find the imam, he's in sajda. Some people, what they do is they come and they say, let me wait, the, uh, I have to go down, then come up. Let me wait, he's going to come up anyway for the next rak'ah, then I will say Allahu Akbar and start. The scholars say, no, that's not the sunnah. The sunnah is you come and you find the imam in sajda, what do you do? You go into sajda. They said, because you don't know, maybe that one sajda, that one extra sajda, is the difference between halfa and jannah. That one sajda, the sajda that you do to the, for the sake of Allah you put your head on the ground, you don't know its value. Didn't the Prophet say that the closest position that we can be in to Allah in this life is in sajda. That one sajda is worth so much. So why would you, the shaitan comes and he says, you're late anyway, you missed the rak'ah, you have to make it up anyway. Wait, he's going to come up and then you can join the salah. Whereas the scholars look at the way they think. Don't miss an opportunity. One sajda, one rukur, whatever it may be. You take every opportunity that you can get so that on, on the day of judgment, inshallah, you have more good deeds. Ibn Kathir says that those people will see on the day of judgment that they had nothing. They had so many opportunities for good deeds and they wasted them all and they squandered them. In the next verse, verse number 25, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then speaks about what will happen with those people. Those people who are regretful, remorseful, they wasted their time in this life. Allah says, No one on the day of judgment will punish as he punishes subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Al-Kisai, one of the Qurra, one of the Qira'at, or the ten Qira'at that we have, Al-Qurra, Al-Kisai, he reads this verse and he says, He uses a different tense in the Arabic language in terms of the verb. And he does the same in verse number 26 as well. Ibn Atiyah, the famous scholar of Andalus, he said his famous tafsir, tafsir Ibn Atiyah is a, an amazing tafsir. He says that there are two meanings that we take from these two qira'at. When the qira'at changes, the meaning slightly changes also, gives you an added benefit. He says the first meaning is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not allow anyone to punish on his behalf on the day of judgment. Which shows what therefore? that that punishment is extremely severe. If the punishment was going to come from other than Allah, then a person may have hope because they are also created. They have weaknesses. The creation of Allah is always weak. There are always weaknesses within them. But Allah, some of the scholars of tafsir said the meaning of this verse 
is on Yawmul Qiyamah, no one will be allowed to punish on behalf of Allah. Allah will decide who is punished subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why when Allah Azza wa Jal punishes, what happens? It is the severest of punishment. Inna rabbaka lashadeedul iqab. Allah is severe in his punishment. And that is why when the people of the Day of Judgment on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, when they go to the different prophets, asking them to start intercession, shafa'ah, they go to Adam, and they go to Nuh, and they go to Ibrahim, and they go to Musa, and they go to Isa wassalam. Each one of those parents, despite their station, despite how senior they are, despite how beloved they are to Allah, despite how much good that they did, none of them will intercede. And every one of them will say, that today I am afraid for myself, nafsi, nafsi, I am afraid for myself. For indeed today my Lord is so angry. Never has he been this angry before. Never again will he ever be this angry. And so that day even the prophets of Allah will be fearful for themselves. And it is only our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that will accept the intercession on that day. Only he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, will go and make that intercession. Even the greatest prophets of Allah Azza wa will not do so. And so that's one of the meanings of this verse, that the punishment of Allah on that day is his punishment subhanahu wa ta'ala. And other scholars said that the meaning is that the punishment of that day is unlike any punishment of the dunya. Don't make a comparison between this punishment and that punishment. That day upon which Allah will punish like no one else punishes, meaning that it is nothing like the punishments of the dunya that you're used to. As the Prophet told us وسلم, when he was speaking about the fire of this dunya and the fire of the akhirah, he said that it is how much? One seventieth of the fire of the akhirah. Seventy times stronger is the fire of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. May Allah save us from that. So this was the position of a number of the scholars with tafsir. And Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said something very similar. He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not allow punishment to be given to anyone except by his choice, his choice, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of the scholars said that on that day, the person who is punished, which is the disbeliever, his punishment will be like unlike anything else that that person has ever faced. And Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something similar. And he mentioned that this was the position of Qatada, the famous student of uh, Anas radiallahu an, and al-Hasr al-Basri, the famous scholar of the Tabi'een. He said that they said, that the meaning of this verse is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day will punish like no one else can punish. His punishment is not like the punishment of anyone in this dunya. And so Ibn Kathir ta'ala also took that tafsir. And so the scholars of tafsir generally, they agree on the meaning of, of this verse. In verse number 26, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا يُوثِقُ وَثَاقَهُ أَحَدٌ And no one will bind. Al-withaq is to chain someone, to bind them. And no one will bind on that day as he binds. And likewise, Al-Kisai in his Qira'ah, he read, And so Imam Al-Tabari mentioned the same position of tafsir. That no one will bind on that day the way that Allah will bind. Meaning what? Why do you bind someone? Why do we change someone? Even in this world, if someone commits a crime, what do the police do? They put them in handcuffs. Why do you change someone to stop them from escaping? Stop them from running away. Stop them from trying to escape the punishment that is coming to them. On that day, Allah will bind people so that they know that there is no escape. There is no escape on the day of judgment from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah will bind people. Allah says, That 
Allah says when the binds, when the chains will be around their necks. You know, like in the olden days, I don't know if you ever saw, but in the olden days, what they would do is they would chain someone by their hands and they would tie their hands to their neck. This is what they would do. Because that is harder. You're stuck. And they would chain their feet together as well. So you can't run and you can't use your hands. If your hands are here, you can still move them. You can still pick things up. If your hands are tied to here, what happens? You can't do anything. Allah Azza says they will be tied by their necks and they will be chains by which they will be dragged, thrown in the hameen, and then in the fire they will be burned. And that is why in many hadith, the Prophet said, many hadith is mentioned that the people of the fire that are thrown in the fire, what happens to them? They are dragged, dragged in chains and thrown into the fire. Why? Because Allah Azza wa Jal for the people of the fire on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, there is no honor for them. There is no mercy for them. There is no compassion for them. They are not allowed to walk nicely or that they're given the choice, go in, or that it's a welcoming thing that you can choose when you want to go. No, there is no honor for the people of the fire. Even in the way that they are taken to the fire and thrown in the fire and spoken to, and then once they're in the fire, the way that they are dealt with, there is no karama, no honor, no blessing, no compassion or mercy in that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from it. And that's why Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in his tafsir, there is no one who is stronger in chaining and binding than the angels of punishment that Allah will send, his zabaniya. And this is, this is why when, when uh, Abu Jahl used to come to the Prophet وسلم, when the Prophet وسلم, in, in the tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq, when he used to come, the Prophet used to come by the Kaaba and he used to pray by the Kaaba. And they said, Abu Jahl and the leaders of Quraysh, they said to him, you're not allowed to come to the Kaaba and pray. But the Prophet would ignore him and he would come and he would pray. One day Abu Jahl became angry and he said to him, how dare you come when I told you not to come? So the Prophet also became angry and he started to respond. Abu Jahl said to him, what can you do to me? Who are you going to call to help you? If I call, all of Bakka will come to attack you. They will come to help me to attack you. If you call, who's going to come? What did Allah Azza wa say in Surah Al-Araq? Let him call his helpers. We will call the angels of punishment to him. It doesn't matter. Allah Azza wa has angels that will come and drag him. And that is why on one occasion when Abu Jahl was going to go and, and the Prophet was praying and he was going to go and stamp on his foot, stamp on his neck. And then as he was walking, he turned back af afraid, frightened. What did the Prophet say? What did he say, Abu Jahl, when the Quraysh said to him, what happened? He says, all I saw was fire. All I saw was punishment. And so I left and I walked back. The Prophet said, had he continued, he would have been pulled apart. Those angels would have come and they would have taken him apart. And that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when his angels of punishment come, there is nothing that can stop them. Nothing. As Ibn Kathir ta'ala said, that this is what will happen to the people who oppressed and committed oppression and shirk in this life. Then in the ending of the surah, on the final few verses of the surah, Allah Azza wa Jal, as he often does in the Quran, after speaking about the punishment of the people of the fire, and showing us how dangerous and how terrifying it is, Allah Azza wa Jal always tells us about the people of Jannah, and the people of Iman. And that is because Iman requires you to be balanced between fear of Allah and hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah Azza wa Jal only mentioned the punishment, 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 we would all be afraid. But for the people of Iman, there is always hope. Because if you turn to Allah, and you repent to Allah, and you make dua to Allah Azza wa Jal, and you do good deeds, and you have Iman, and you have Tawheed, inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless you, and He will increase you in good. 
The Quran always has this balance. Never does it always say you are evil, there is no forgiveness, there is no mercy. Nor does it always say there is only mercy and no punishment. The Quran always balances between the two because as humans, we need balance. Just like we do with our children, right? When we have young children and they misbehave, what do we do? If you leave them and you leave them and you, they don't learn. Sometimes you have to admonish them. You have to shatter them. You have to correct them because otherwise you don't learn. And if you always hit them and punish them and punish them, what happens to the child? They come to a certain age where no longer does it work. They don't care anymore. They're just used to continuously being beaten. And so you always have to balance between hope and kindness and compassion, but also when they do something wrong by correcting them and ensuring that they do not continue upon that wrong. In verse 27, so then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya nafsul But you, O soul, that is peaceful and tranquil. And look at how Allah Azza wa Jal, when he speaks about the people of Iman, what does he address? He addresses the nafs, the soul. Because that is where a person has their Iman, and that is where their Tawheed is in the heart, it's in the soul. And so Allah Azza wa addresses the soul, because as we know, when a person dies, what leaves the body? The soul. And what goes to Allah Azza wa The soul. And what is returned to the body in the grave? The soul. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks and addresses that soul, not the body. Because the body disintegrates. The body after a while doesn't stay in the grave. And so the soul continues and it remains. Ya The scholars of tafsir, they differed as to whether this verse is am, is, is for everyone, or whether Allah was speaking about a certain group of people or a certain person. And the strongest opinion is that it is am, it is for everyone. All of the believers this refers to, as is the position of Ikrimah, the famous scholar of, Ibn, uh, student of Ibn Abbas. Ikrimah, the famous scholar of Tafsir. But some of the scholars, such as Dahak, also from the scholars of the Salaf, he said that this verse was referring to Uthman. It's referring to Uthman, that this was something for him that in his future when he passed away, this is what would happen to him. And we know that Uthman was assassinated later on. And others said, no, it was referring to Hamza when he was martyred on the day of Uhud, that this is how Allah addressed the soul of Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet And others such as Muqatil said that it was referring to a man by the name of Khubayb ibn Adi. Khubayb ibn Adi was from the Muslims of Mecca. And what the Quraysh did to him is they took him and they crucified him for being a Muslim. For his Iman, they crucified him. And so some of the scholars said it was referring to him. And others even said that it was referring to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu But as Imam al-Qurtubi said, after mentioning the position of Ikrimah, he said, He said the correct position is that this verse speaks to every believer's soul. Every believer that is good and has Iman, Every believer, when the soul leaves the body, this is how it is addressed. A soul of tranquility, a soul of peace. And we know from the long hadith of the Prophet wasallam when he spoke about how the ruh, the, the soul of the believer leaves the body, and how the soul of the disbeliever leaves the body. And for the believer, it is done in a way that is caring and compassionate and merciful and comforting. And that is why the angels come and they say to the soul of the believer as it is dying, Allah inna awliya Allahi, the awliya of Allah, they don't need to fear, nor do they need to despair. Meaning, don't need to fear what's coming in the future, nor do you need to despair and worry about what you've left behind in terms of your family and your loved ones. Allah will protect them, and Allah will ensure your safety in the future as well. Al-Imam al-Tabari, 
said, and this is the statement, this is the statement that the malaika, the angels of death, will make to the believer as they take the soul of the believer. Qatad and al-Hassan, they said that the meaning of mutma'inna, the tranquil soul, is that you are tranquil because in this life you believed in Allah and you testify to the truthfulness of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. And Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala said that the meaning of mutma'inna is that you're pleased with Allah's decree and that you know that that which Allah azawajal decreed for you would come to you and so you were pleased with whatever Allah azawajal decreed. And Muqatil said that the word mutma'inna, tranquil means that you, are, you have safety. And Tawus said that the meaning of mutma'inna is that you are tranquil because you constantly remembered Allah, you made dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn Zayd said that you are tranquil because at the time of death, the angels come and they give you the glad tidings of Jannah, that Allah has prepared for you his reward. And Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala in his sahih, sahih al-Bukhari, in his tafsir of this verse, he mentioned the statement of al-Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala. And that is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes the soul, Allah for the believer, he makes the soul tranquil and he gives it peace because this is a soul that in this life worked for the pleasure of Allah. So on that day, Allah informs it that he is pleased with that soul and therefore that its final destination will be in Jannah. And in reality, all of these are the same. All of these tafsir, because the scholars of tafsir of the Salaf, when they would make tafsir, they would use different words to say the same thing. One speaks about dhikr, one speaks about being pleased with Allah, one speaks about all of these are essentially one and the same thing. But they are just using different words and phrases to mention it. But if you look, really they are one and the same thing. And that is that the word mutma'inna is that at the time of death, that soul has nothing to fear. That soul has nothing to worry about. That soul is content with Allah Azza wa because in this life, it worshipped Allah and it tried to please Allah and it tried to come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now at the time of death, when it is at its most vulnerable, at its most fragile, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives it the tranquility that he needs as Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said in his tafsir of this verse, al-mutma'inna means that the soul trusted in the promise that Allah made. What is the promise of Allah to the people of Iman? That if you have Iman in this life, Allah will give you its reward in the Akhirah. It believed in this, and so therefore at the time of death, Allah makes it tranquil. And he says, and this was the position of the likes of Ibn Abbas, and Qatada, and Al-Hassan alayhim, rahmatullahi jami'an. And some of the scholars said that this is what will happen at the time of death. And other scholars said, as Abu Salih al-Samman and others used to say, that it is on the day of judgment. So some scholars said at the time of death, this is what will happen. It will be a tranquil soul. Others said, no, it is at the time of resurrection, on the day of judgment, when the souls are resurrected. Ibn Qayyim ta'ala said, and the, the true or the strong, the correct opinion is that both are correct. It will happen twice. Once at the time of death and once again at the time of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And that is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah Azza will make this person safe at the time of death and at the time of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So this person that dies, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't only look after them in the grave or look after them at the time of the soul leaving the body. From that moment onwards, until the day of judgment and until they enter into Jannah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with them as Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said. And that's why he said in reality, there's no difference of opinion. Again, some of the Salaf said the grave, some of them said the Akhir. And both of them are essentially one and the same thing. And that's why Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir he said, and this will happen twice, once at the time of death 
and once on the day of judgment. And this is when the angels will come and they will give the glad tidings to the people of Jannah that they are from the people of, of Jannah. Ibn Qayyim ta'ala said that the soul that is tranquil, it's at peace, itmi'nan. What it means is that it has nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. It doesn't have anything. It is content with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for it. And that itmi'nan, that itmi'nan of the soul, it is something which the mu'min, the believer, strives for in this life. So at the time of death, Allah Azza wa gives it to them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَطْمَئِنُّ قُلُوبُهُمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ أَلَا بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ تَطْمَئِنُّ الْقُلُوبُ Those who believe and their hearts become tranquil at the remembrance of Allah. For indeed with the remembrance of Allah do the hearts gain tranquility. So this is what the believer does. Tranquility not because they have money and houses and cars. Tranquility because they know that they are worshipping their Lord and pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what they do is halal. And they stay away from the haram. And their rizq that comes from them, it is from halal. And they stay away from the haram. And they try to do that which pleases Allah, stay away from that which displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person does this and they have that iman in Allah azza wa jal, they believe in Allah and they believe in his names and his attributes and all of the pillars of iman. And they follow the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they are pleased and tranquil or at peace with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah azza wa jal will helps them, helps them on the day of judgment. So when those angels come and they take away their soul, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told us that it is only the blink of an eye before the angels of Allah's mercy shroud that soul and look after it. The blink of an eye, not even the blink of an eye passes before Allah Azza wa looks after the soul once it leaves the body. And that is why the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they used to be people who when the time of death came, they were people who on the one hand would want to stay and do more good deeds, but then there are narrations that the companions also used to look forward to, meeting the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and meeting the believers and going towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, no Prophet died except that they were given a choice between this dunya, staying in it, or going to Allah. And no Prophet ever chose the dunya. No Prophet. Aisha radiallahu anha says that I used to hear the Prophet say this hadith. The Prophet of Allah always given a choice, always given a choice. She said that when the Prophet was in my lap and he was about to die and he said, Fir Rafiqil A'la. Oh Allah, I want your highest companionship. She said, Idan la yakhtaruna. He will never choose us. Because the prophets of Allah, why would any believer choose this dunya over what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for the believers in the akhirah on Yawm Al-Qiyamah? So the believer works hard, they spend their life working hard to please Allah Azza wa Jal. Because when that moment comes, we need to be ready. We don't have the chance then to say, no Allah, I need another five years, another ten years, another twenty years. And that is why the hadith, the beautiful hadith in Sahihin, when the angel of death came to Musa alayhi salatu wasalam. Angel of death came to Musa, what did Musa do to the angel of death? Poked his eye out. And so the angel of death goes back to Allah and he said, Ya Rabbi, oh my Lord, you sent me to one of your slaves, he doesn't want to die. Doesn't want to die. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the angel of eye, death's eye back into it. And then he said to the angel of death, go back to Musa and say to him, take your hand and put it on the side of an ox. And however many hairs come under your hand, you will have that many years of life. We will expand your life for you. So the angel of death came and told Musa alayhi salam. And Musa alayhi salam said, then what will happen after that? Those years pass by, then what? He said, then death. Death, you will die. So then Musa said, no, in that case, take me now. You have to leave, you have to leave. That is the reality of the dunya. 
There is no such thing as living forever or staying forever. Even the person who's 100 years old, you go and ask them, did you spend long in this life? They will say no. Pass by in the blink of an eye. Yesterday, I remember I was 5 or 10 or 20. And now I am 100 and I don't know what happened to my life. Even the longest person who lives still feels that the dunya was very short, let alone the most, most of us who will not even live to see that type of age. And that is why when the Bedouin man came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, when is Qiyamah? What did the Prophet ﷺ say to him? What have you prepared for it? That's the real question. Whenever it is, what have you done to prepare for that time? May come today, may come tomorrow, may come next year. Your time though, when your death comes, that is your qiyamah. As the scholars used to say, it is the minor qiyamah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, ila rabbiki Return to your Lord while pleased and while pleasing. It is pleased and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will please it. And that is why we say about the companions, They are pleased with Allah, Allah is pleased with them. The soul that is tranquil and at peace when it leaves the dunya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is pleased. And Allah azza wa will make sure that it is pleased. It is pleased with what it put forth in this dunya and Allah azza wa will make sure that it is pleased in terms of the reward that we'll receive on yawmul qiyamah. And this is why Imam Al-Tabari said, and this is also from the statements of, of, the, of the angels, that they will say, ila rabbiki Go back to your Lord. That is one tafsir that is referring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But many of the scholars of tafsir, they were of the position that the meaning of rabbiki is not your Lord, but rather your body. Because Rabb, in the Arabic language can mean Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it can also mean master. Master. Master meaning the one who owns you or the one that possesses you. And that's why in the hadith of the Prophet when he's speaking about, in the hadith of Jibreel, when he's speaking about the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, he said, That the slave girl gives birth to its master. So the word Rabb can also mean master. Some of the scholars of Tafsir, they said here, the meaning of Rabb here, is that go back to your body. Meaning why? Because once the soul is taken out and it goes to the heavens and Allah Azza wa showers its praise and blessings upon the soul, what happens to the soul? It is told to go back to the dunya. Go back to your grave, go back into the body. That's what they are saying. Now go back to your body, your master. You will be pleased and you will be well pleased. And this was the position of Ibn Abbas and Ikrimah and Atta'a and the position that was chosen by Imam Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir and many of the scholars of Tafsir. That the word Rabb here, and this is why it is important to look at the books of Tafsir, because otherwise the word Rabb you think just means Lord. But the majority of the scholars of Tafsir seem to take the position that it's referring to the human body as opposed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Qayyim ta'ala said, and to be pleased means that this slave will be pleased with that which they did. And then therefore that which they will be given of reward. They will be pleased with what they put forth in this dunya. And therefore the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give to them. Then Allah azza wa concludes this surah and he says, فَدْخُلِي فِي عِبَادِي وَدْخُلِي جَنَّتِي In verses 29 and 30, go in amongst my servants and enter into my gardens, meaning enter into Jannah. Al-Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, the meaning is, go and be amongst my servants, meaning the righteous. Your company is amongst the righteous of Allah's servants. As Allah Azza wa says, أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ 
من النبيين والصديقين والشهداء والصالحين those are the ones that Allah has favored the ones who will be in the company of the prophets and the truthful and the martyrs and the righteous وحسن اولئك رفيقا and what an amazing companionship that is for the believers Allah azza wa jalla will say to them go and enter into the companionship of these righteous servants wadkhuli jannati and enter into jannah and this was the position of qatada rahimahullah ta'ala and some of the scholars differed some of them said go and enter into my servants meaning the righteous amongst them or the obedient amongst them or they use different words but essentially it is one and the same meaning and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to this soul and that is why the Prophet said that in the grave when the person answers the questions and they turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they answer the question of who is your Lord who is your Prophet what is your religion what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say he says open for this slave of mine in their grave a gate from the gates of Jannah and their grave is expanded for them and it is made light and bright and easy for them and they can't see anything all the way to the horizon all they see is the gate of or that place that they will have in Jannah may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those people so with that we come to the end of this amazing surah and that is the surah tafsir of surah al-fajr the surah which contains so many lessons for us in terms of the past nations and in terms of thinking about Allah's signs and in terms of the reality of people and the way that we become attached to the dunya and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends this surah by giving us the reality of people on Yawm Al-Qiyamah and the two types of groups of people that will be those who will leave this dunya with regret and remorse those who leave this dunya and Allah Azza wa Jalla will give them peace and tranquility may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from that second group us and our parents and our families and our children and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us in the highest ranks of Jannah هذا والله أعلم وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته